is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave podcast. This is Dave, and this is episode 72, and we've made it. We're at the, the pinnacle of the NFL season, the big one, the Super Bowl, Mahomes versus Purdy, Shanahan versus Reed, Kelsey and Taylor Swift fans versus NFL fans, however you want to say it. Um, we finally made it to the big game, and we're going to be breaking down some of those uh, some of the different aspects of that game in a little bit um, as the main segment of this episode. But before all that, we got to get into off the top and it's Mike's turn to bring the prompt for this week. Hello, this is Mike. And not going to lie, when you were like, we've made it, I was still thinking about how you said episode 72. And so I was like, what a strange thing to me. So like, oh yeah, 72, we made it. This is what we set our sights on from day one, you know, but Yes, Super Bowl Sunday, by the time this comes out, is two days away, and I know we are both looking forward to it. I know I'd be looking forward to it more if the Lions were in it, but what are you going to do? We will have plenty to talk about with that, but first, off the top, so this is unrelated to the Super Bowl, but it's been in... Mm, there's been a certain discourse to this in the last couple weeks in the NBA. The 65 game minimum to qualify for MVP, all NBA selections, uh, da da da, right? Um, Tyrese Halliburton not going to qualify for that major extension. And so this is going to cost him like $40 million somewhere in that area, which is a lot of money. I feel like I'd be bummed to, you know, not be making that much money. Joel Embiid, reigning MVP, player who on the very last episode of the Mike and Dave podcast, we said, probably the best player in the world right now, are not going to qualify for MVP either, um, especially with this new injury. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Dave. Um if you thought now, I mean, granted, I guess to like set this up a little bit, the 65 game minimum isn't something that like Adam Silver or the NBA as a whole, like just randomly decided on this was in the last collective bargaining agreement. You know, the, the players, the NBA players association agreed on this. And now we have backlash from several players, none the least shy of which being Draymond Green, you know, um, are up in arms about this. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. How do you feel about the 65 game minimum there? I mean, for for people who have listened to us talk about this kind of thing before, this is just going to be the same thing, uh, that we've said in that the best ability is availability you can't if you're not playing for your team theoretically you are contributing zero to the on-court success of your team and so therefore you're not being very valuable <laughs> at the end of the day um if there's a guy over you know over there who's you know who scores like 20 gets like five boards five assists a couple of steals you know, whatever, that's 
20 more points, five more rebounds, five more assists, whatever, than you put up because you didn't play. Um, And in my mind, it's not talking about who's the best player. It's it's who's the most valuable player. Uh, And there's a reason why it's called that. And you can't be the most valuable if, you know, if you're Embiid and you're you're set to miss, you know, probably over a month with this meniscus injury. It doesn't matter how well you are playing, you know, the first part of the season. That's that's a whole month's worth of games that you're not going to be playing in where you're providing zero value. In fact, you could even argue it's negative value because so much of the team's uh, resources and money is going into you just for you to not play at all. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate. It, it seems like it's just being harsh considering like it already sucks being injured. Like these guys want to play, at least most of them do. Um, <laughs> but I still think like when it comes to award time, there's no way that, that a guy who played in 50 games compared to a guy who played in 75 games, like you can't tell, you can't sit there and tell me that the the guy who played in 50 games, his contribution is going to be so much more significant than the guy who played in 75 games that he deserves the MVP over, over the, the other one. Um, and I'm not talking about like, Oh, if Clint Capella played in 75 games and you know, Embiid played in, in 50, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, there are so many great players in the league anyway. It's kind of a, you know, who who doesn't get injured and who's, you know, able to play really well. And I think that uh that kind of wraps wraps up that conversation in my mind of like it sucks, but like you gotta be on the court um as much as you can. And I think that the sixty five games, yeah, like that still means that you're gonna miss almost twenty games of the season when the when the season's like it's almost a fourth of the season. Um maybe not almost a fourth. It's close. But regardless, I'm I'm totally fine with it. I kind of understand it a little bit more from like the all NBA stuff, but it's still like competition so fierce for those things anyway that I think the the main uh, differing factor or like the the main differentiation between who who should make it and who shouldn't realistically should have been games played anyway in my mind, especially if that's a significant difference. So this has just kind of made that a rule instead of just a consideration. Uh, And I think that that's probably fair enough. Yeah, I, I agree there. And with Halliburton, I feel like he's a victim of circumstance, you know, where like, because he's actually injured and this rule came about in an effort to mitigate the load management you know, Halliburton has nothing to do with that. And now this legitimate injury is going to cost him all that money. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are getting tickets to see their favorite players from different teams play, like the big stars, and they there needs to be some, I guess, assurance that those guys are going to play. And that playtime should be rewarded, or like the lack thereof should be consequential to not making... MVP, you know, um, I think one thing that bothers me about it is like when Embiid got hurt, um, we were seeing players come out and say like, 
you know, you got guys pushing themselves to be out there all these extra games and now it's getting people hurt. But like, it's not what happened. Like Embiid was just on the floor as he so often is. And then a different player just fell on his leg. You know, like, I don't think that's a consequence of like, oh, Embiid's trying to play more games. I think that's a, that's just a freak thing that happens. You get paid to play. Like, at the end of the day, like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're a basketball player. Play the games. Um, look at the Clippers, for example. The past few years, yeah, they've been struggling with injuries, load management, all this stuff. They have not, they barely made the playoffs. Um, or that one year, they made the playoffs and Kawhi was balling, but then he got hurt and then they ended up losing that series. Uh, but you look at it this year, they've managed to stay healthy regardless of the 65 game minimum, whatever. Um, and they're probably one of the major threats to win it all, especially if you're looking at the Western conference. So, you know, I'm maybe I'm a little jaded, but I just feel like if you're going to cry about, you know, not playing, you know, playing too many games, and it'd be one thing if if it was like eighty games, and you're allowed to miss like two for if you get like sick or like a little like bruise on your shin or something. But like, like sure, that would be over the top. But we're we're talking about you can miss seventeen games of the season here. Um, and how many of these of these people who are complaining about the sixty five game rule are also celebrating the end game or the end season tournament? Like that's adding additional games. I know it's not a ton of them because a lot of them are like, you know, double duty or whatever, but the NBA has also really tried uh, pretty hard to eliminate like back-to-backs. You know, sometimes they, they even do this, like you play a team two games in a row to minimize travel. Like they're, they're trying to get better about the schedule and making changes there. Like, and in my mind, those those changes are enough but yeah so that's going to wrap up off the top for uh this episode and when we come back we're going to be breaking down uh the super bowl as well as looking back at the conference championship games and making our predictions okay super bowl preview time and you know as as we do we're looking at some of the big storylines going into this game you know will can mahomes get his third ring be on pace to to potentially you know, catch Tom Brady eventually. Can Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy take his 49ers to the promised land? Shanahan, is he going to be able to finally get over the hump and win the Super Bowl after collapsing multiple times? <laughs> uh, Andy Reid, does he, if he wins this one, does he have uh, a say in, you know, the the head coaching GOAT discussion? There are so many of these different storylines, and I didn't even mention Taylor Swift. Um, but before all of that, it's time for the hot seat because one storyline that I wasn't expecting to see was none other than Patrick Mahomes getting arrested on suspicion of driving while intoxicated and no, not that Patrick Mahomes, his dad, Patrick Mahomes senior. Yes, that's right. In case you didn't see this guy gets goes and drives drunk and gets arrested a week before his son plays in arguably the biggest game of his career in the Super Bowl. 
We've seen before Mahomes' wife getting into some off-field stuff that's, you know, causing a distraction. His brother doing a TikTok dance and basically, um, I don't even know what the word is, but like completely out of touch dancing while Sean Taylor is being um, memorialized. All this stuff, like he's got enough of this stuff to deal with as it is. And then his own father is out here drinking and driving, which also, it's not the first time that this has happened. This has happened multiple times, which means if he's convicted, he could be serving jail time because it would be a felony. So I think that no, none other than Patrick Mahomes Sr. should be on the hot seat for this week because... There is just absolutely no excuse for drinking and driving regardless. But look around you, understand the context of the situation, and make better decisions. Like, this is just embarrassing and completely unnecessary. On your Mike and Dave podcast bingo card, I don't know if y'all had hot seat coming in before the, the big segment here. But if you did, props to you. Um, yeah, so Patrick Mahomes Jr. in pursuit of some uh, some new hardware, another ring. But his dad swooping in and getting the uh, the bracelets first. Uh, so yeah, um, whole situation like don't drink and drive. If you are listening to this, if you're not listening to this, still don't drink and drive. Just no one drink and drive. But yeah, it's like the uh the proximity to Patrick Mahomes Jr., the you know, the good one, the important one, is just what puts this over the top. I think the the relationship, the timing of it all, unreal. And it's kind of crazy to me, like, because you you said, you know, he's no stranger, the quarterback is no stranger to having people in his circle getting negative media attention or creating that like bad air of publicity. And it's, I don't know, like he's not just like, we say this about athletes a decent amount anyway. Like you have to surround yourself with people that are going to, you know, not bring this negative attention towards you because your reputation is affected by how they present themselves and everything. But it's not just any athlete. It's the guy that's trying to be the next Brady. Like he has a shot to be football's goat. And he has this getting in the way of it. Um, I guess like to move on from the hot seat then into the Super Bowl, like to me that's one of the biggest points of intrigue about this Super Bowl is Mahomes' pursuit of Brady. Because, you know, he's never not made it at least to the AFC championship game as a starter. Um he has a chance to win his third Super Bowl ring. You know, of course Brady has seven. And, you know, this is coming from a Brady fan here, but like, I don't think Mahomes needs to get seven to be the goat. I really don't because 
Brady has the seven, and I feel like that's it's really hard to imagine that happens again. But at a certain point, you know, you look at Mahomes, and this is not the first time I've said this on this podcast, but I've never seen a more talented player. Uh, Brady can't, could never do the things that Mahomes is capable of doing. And he gets to that like five marker, six, like that's goat to me because you take the, the skill gap and then you say, okay. And he still won more than like Joe Montana, who was the goat before Brady, like, or among them, like Mahomes is still not even like in his thirties yet. (laughs) Yeah. He's still 28. So he could have three by the time. Yeah. By 28, basically. Um, which means what did he when did he start playing like seven years ago six years ago something like that mm-hmm. which means he's definitely on pace to do it and I think there's there's definitely an argument to have be had about around you know counting stats and things like that which is going to be really hard to beat um both the counting stats and the all the victories definitely are, are in his favor but like like we said last episode, Mahomes has never not gone to an AFC championship game every year, except the year where he sat behind Alex Smith. So if that just continues, then like he he's set pretty much. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting in like the, the broad scope of the NFL and NFL history and these kind of arguments. If Mahomes does manage to get it done, because at, at that point it's, it really is, it's not necessarily unmatched, but it's definitely rarefied air that he's walking in already. Like already would have a Hall of Fame case at the age of twenty-eight. So pretty impressive stuff. So I know I like shoved in a bunch of storylines before the hot seat. Uh, one that I that I do want to come back to since we were talking quarterbacks is Brock Purdy. I was uh I was actually explaining the whole situation to my wife, uh, you know, ahead of the Super Bowl, kind of what's at stake, what's interesting about it, and explain the whole Brock Purdy story of how, you know, he got drafted last. That's typically they, you know, the nickname the nickname for that player is Mr. Irrelevant. And that's kind of crazy enough, but it's even crazier that the 49ers made this big trade to secure Trey Lance, you know, third overall, I think it was, second, something like that, uh, the same year. And now, if you had said, you know, at that point, looking forward to 2024, it would be Brock Purdy leading the 49ers to the Super Bowl instead of Trey Lance. Um, You would have thought something absolutely crazy must have happened. And to be honest, that's exactly what's happened. Um, Since we're making Tom Brady comparisons, like... Let's say Brock Purdy goes out, balls out in the Super Bowl, wins Super Bowl MVP, and you know leads the 49ers to that championship. I'm not saying like he's got a lot, a heck of a lot more to do than than Mahomes does, but you're talking about a really late pick, you know, coming on due to a lot of injuries that that did occur, um, and keeping the starting job and holding on to it and leading his team to, to victory, you know, uh, really early on in his career. Again, 
there's still a lot of football to be played. This is all speculation. And yes, we're fans and we like to, you know, hyperbolize everything and whatever. But the similarities are there. And it is a really intriguing storyline to me. And one that's... I don't want to say that, like, I always want to cheer for the underdog. And in fact, the Chiefs are an underdog in this game, which I also want to get get to. But part of me is just like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if Brock Purdy won the Super Bowl as Mr. Irrelevant and, you know, proved everybody wrong that that was just saying he was a product of of the system or the guys around him or whatever? It would be really cool. Yeah, I know I had mentioned this on the last episode, but, you know, we have the draft coming up in a couple months and for... Brock Purdy to get his team to the Super Bowl, especially if he ends up winning it, it makes you look at that draft a little differently. Like, you know, picking a quarterback in the top several picks, you know, especially if you're a team in at least moderate need of one, like, it's going to be the obvious answer. And we'll have some top quarterback prospects to discuss in that be it a Caleb Williams, a Drake May, Jaden Daniels, heck, even J.J. McCarthy. But Jordan Travis. <laughs> Jordan Travis, who will, no pun intended, fall because of his injury. Um, really? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> but, you know, in picking these quarterbacks high up, you know, it makes us – like this will be said on draft night. Let me put it that way, or maybe not the first draft night since the NFL does it over three nights. But when we get into day three of the draft and we're looking at some teams taking flyers on quarterbacks in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, Brock Purdy's name is going to be mentioned. You know, like oh, they're picking this quarterback here, and you know, well, you can't say too much because Brock Purdy was the last. You know, that is going to be the storyline taking over the draft, uh, at least like on the second and third day of it. And it, I don't know, it just makes you think a little more about those quarterbacks that are going high up because, you know, of course, like this isn't me saying like, oh, hot take, Um, Caleb Williams should be like dropping into the third round or some shit. Um, But it is me saying like you have your Patrick Mahomes players that like, are worthy of high draft picks or, you know, like a, a Trevor Lawrence, a Joe Burrow, you know, CJ Stroud even. But you also have players like Tom Brady, like Brock Purdy, who you find way ass deep in the draft and, you know, you develop those guys and you give them an opportunity and they'll show you what they're made of. You know, those happen. So definitely a point of intrigue there. I will say, because I think it was Cam Newton that had said this pretty publicly the other day, that, um, like, oh, Brock Purdy, he's only the 10th best player on his team. You know, like, okay, so what? Like, I feel like that's not, I feel like that came across as, like, very harsh. Like, he was shitting on Brock Purdy. But, like, it's the 49ers. A team has a bunch of, insanely talented players and Brock Purdy is in like what year two. Um, I'm sorry. He's not better than CMC Debo Trent Williams. 
um, not uh, George Kittle, you know, Bosa, all, all these other guys, right? Um, but okay, your team has great players. You're still the quarterback. It's still your job to go out there and perform and make the right reads and make a certain amount of plays that keep your team in the game, if not like put you over that. And thus far this season, he's been able to do that. I feel like that isn't the burn that a lot of people are trying to make it out to be. I feel like that, if anything, that's just a commentary on how talented this 49ers team is. And they shouldn't really need him to be Mahomes-esque. He's not going to, you know. But it it's sort of like uh, when you look at this Chiefs team, like, yeah, their defense has been great this season. But I think the expectation around that is, like, Mahomes will throw them to victory or whatever with purdy that's not really the uh the expectation you put out there but like you can win in different ways that's fine well you can but like the chiefs have been winning differently all year like that's been a major point of emphasis is that mahomes has not had anywhere near his grace greatest statistical season um at up to this point in fact even if you look at these quarterbacks head to head i mean purdy's thrown for more yards thrown for more interceptions and thrown less interceptions this year. Like you would, you would have thought that it, it would, you know, the roles would have been reversed based on how these guys have been perceived. But realistically, it's the fact that the chiefs have a more balanced offense with Pacheco. The fact that their defense has continued to improve year upon year. Um, Spagnolo just continuing to work magic with that defense. And, you know, Really, the Chiefs were somewhat of an afterthought until they finally kind of pulled everything together towards the end of the season and, of course, have gotten hot riding that wave all the way to the Super Bowl. So I really do think that it's, you know, sometimes the narratives can be overblown a bit when we start talking about this. Like, realistically, like, statistically speaking, Purdy has been a better quarterback than Mahomes has been this year. Now, Purdy has better weapons. Um, but at the same time, if Mahomes is so much better than like, theoretically he should be raising the level of the guys around him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, point being, yes, it's been a great year for Purdy. It's been a down year for Mahomes, but we've seen this before with the 49ers. Colin Kaepernick made it to the Super Bowl, Wasn't able to get it done. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo made it to the Super Bowl, wasn't able to get it done, missed a throw that arguably would have won them the championship. So really all eyes are on Brock Purdy right now in terms of can he deliver in the biggest game of his life? Can he show that, yes, he can continue to do this on the biggest stage? Because um, really it's all there for him. And Really, the, the the thing is, like, yeah, we're going to talk about these these quarterbacks and the, you know, the skill players with Kelsey, with McCaffrey, Ayuk, Kittle, um, you know, even Rashi Rice has been balling all this stuff. But realistically, it's these two defenses that have really carried their teams to the Super Bowl. Um, and I want to talk about that just a little bit before we wrap things up here. Um. Looking at these two defenses, Mike, who do you think has the advantage going into this game? Yeah, so I'm excited about the 
defensive battle that this game can certainly turn into, uh, given how well both these teams' defenses have done all season. I mean, for the Chiefs, that's been more surprising than the 49ers. And respect to what they've been able to accomplish this year because they've really – I mean, we're looking at this Chiefs team that has been just suffering drop uh, pass after drop pass after drop pass, and that was a big narrative around this team for a decent chunk of the season. And I remember hearing, like, plenty of analysts talking about, like, this is going to be what keeps them out of the Super Bowl. You know, like, that this will come back to bite them. They won't be able to overcome this. And while that did continue late into the season, it was um, ameliorated a bit by the fact that the Chiefs defense has just been so damn good. <laughs> like, they're not allowing team other teams to capitalize on those mistakes. And they deserve a lot of credit there. But I'm just looking at this 49ers defense that has so many playmakers, um, so many, you know, dominant members. And, of course, that conversation starts with my boy Ambry Thomas out of Michigan. I'm totally kidding. Um, you got Nick Bosa and Chase Young, Eric Arms. That whole defensive line, uh, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner at the linebacker positions, Traverius Ward at corner. Um, like this, um, like from top to bottom, this 49ers defense is just stacked with different guys that can show up in a myriad of different ways and put pressure on the opposing team, like from the front lines all the way into the secondary at just elite levels. Um, so I have to take the 49ers defense over the Chiefs defense for that reason. But, and, you know, I mentioned a decent amount of their playmakers on offense too. Um, this is going to just sound familiar though from what I said last episode, but the Chiefs still have Patrick Mahomes, like this generation's version of the player that I refuse to bet against. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers definitely have on paper the better defense. But they did just give up 31 points to the Lions, even 21 points to the Packers. And that was with some questionable decision-making from Jordan Love, too, in that game. That kind of helped them out some. Um, meanwhile, the Chiefs held the Dolphins to seven points in admittedly adverse conditions, um, led in 24 points to the Bills, but then held Lamar Jackson in that previously high-flying Ravens offense to 10 points and managed to pretty much manage the game to where Mahomes didn't have to do that much um, because they just really shut down the Ravens. So I think on paper, the 49ers have it in terms of the actual performances on the field. I would, I would edge the chiefs also just because like I mentioned before, I think Spagnuolo is just one of those defensive guys who, you know, he's really hot right now with his defensive play calling. And and so that, you know, there's also that inexperience of Purdy too, where he's, it's not that he's been perfect or anything. Um, there's definitely been a few like dropped interceptions and things like that. I think he can be manipulated a little bit more than Mahomes can at this point. So 
I wouldn't be surprised to see if the 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 Chiefs threw out a few different looks to confuse Purdy in in the Super Bowl, maybe force a couple turnovers. Um, but the 49ers definitely have the players to where any you know any of them could make a game changing play at any time. Where the Chiefs probably have the scheme and the play calling a little bit on their side, and Chris Jones, who is a a big game player as well, um, as we've seen, kind of the their defense's version of Mahomes. So. Regardless, it's going to be a really, really good battle. I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Uh, I can only imagine that it's probably going to break some viewership records. Two of the biggest, you know, followed franchises in the league. Mahomes, obviously drawing fans in. Travis Kelsey and all of that drawing fans in. Um, So it's going to be really exciting. And I don't know. I guess now we've reached the point where it's time to give a prediction um, in our conference championship game predictions. It happened as I predicted, but not that I got both games right, but I said at the end, Oh, I think we're probably each going to get one, right? <laughs> um, and that's, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I had the 49ers winning, um, but then the Ravens winning and then you had vice versa, the lions and the chiefs. So, now we've we've come to where you can only get one of them right or one of them wrong. That's it. Um, so, Mike, who are you leaning towards in this matchup? Are you going with the same logic that you used before where you're just going to back the Chiefs until they give you a reason to, to say otherwise? Yep. The end. <laughs> okay. um, no. So, <laughs> that's it. There was one other thing that I wanted to talk about with it, and this I feel like is as good a time as any to mention it we haven't talked much about the coaches um andy reed having won three super bowls before being regarded as one of the better coaches in nfl history kyle shanahan on the other end like one of the great relatively young minds in the nfl right now not having had won a championship and whether we look at Super Bowl collapse uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo or as the OC in Atlanta, it's a different story. You know, not that Andy Reid has won every time he's been there, but Kyle Shanahan has lost every time he's been there. Um, and so, like, I am backing the Chiefs until I'm given a reason not to. And I'm looking at the Mahomes magic that he's capable of pulling off. Uh, the uh, perfect throws that he pulls out of his hat or ass. Um, but I'm also looking at that Andy Reid coaching. The uh, the history of success there. And I guess I want to ask you, like, fair or unfair for me to look at the coaching that way? Fair or foul? No, I mean, even at the beginning, I was calling out Shanahan for not having or not being able to get it done to this point, and Andy Reid potentially having a a place in the GOAT discussion if he does end up winning this one. So no, definitely fair. Um, like I mentioned before, Spagnuolo, I trust him um, as well to cover the defense for the Chiefs. So I'm leaning to- with the Chiefs as well. Um, 
is one of those things where I just saw the professional manner in which they managed the game against the Ravens. And no, they were not. It was not sexy. It was not, um, you know, high flying or anything like that. Like we, we've thought of the Chiefs in the past being this super high scoring bombs down the field offense. Like that's not really them anymore. But I look at even situations like at the end of the game where on fourth down, they called that throw to Marquez Valdez Scantling who caught it and iced the game for him. Just stuff like that where they're just clutch and they know what right what buttons to push. And they've gotten like like I've mentioned a couple times before like they've just gotten hot at the right time and how many times do we see that it's the team that gets hot uh that ends up winning the whole thing not to mention the fact that they've been there before they have the experience they've done it um and you know the 49ers they've been there they've tasted defeat and so you already know that they're also going to be learning from those mistakes that they made before so I do think it'll be close. I mean, pretty much all the games this postseason have been uh, single digit or decided by single digits. Um, So honestly, like it's been a a fabulous postseason all the way around. And I expect the Super Bowl to be the same, but I am going to lean slightly towards the Chiefs just because of those factors that I mentioned, the coaching, the, the momentum, um, just the way that they beat the Chief or beat the Ravens, I feel like that kind of changed my mind a bit because originally, you know, I'd picked the Ravens to, to win that game, but the Chiefs show like they're they're not they're not out of it quite yet, um, and maybe it's not always the the new kid on the block, but maybe it's it's the same old team that finds new ways of of winning football games. So yeah, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs as well. So there you have it. We uh we actually share the prediction, which means the Mike and Dave podcast is either fully right or fully wrong in our Super Bowl prediction. Oh shit, the pressure mounts. I thought about going 49ers just to be different, but I am more convinced by the Chiefs. But regardless, I I honestly kind of hope that I'm wrong just so Brock Purdy can win, just because that would be cool. Um, and I like a, the, a lot of the guys on the 49ers as well. Like I love Kittle, Juszczyk, uh, Fred Warner, all those guys I, I'm a big fan of. So, um, it would be cool to see. Yeah. I can't remember if I said this on the last episode or not, but usually by the time we get down to four teams, there's at least one team where I'm just like, I just don't want them to win, you know, like whoever it happens to be that year. But this year, I did not feel that way. When it was down to four, I was just like, you know what? No matter who wins, there will be a reason for me to be happy about it. There will be something positive that I take from whoever it is. And, you know, that I still had the Lions to root for or whatever, but, like, I still feel that way. Like, I've picked the Chiefs, but I'm, I don't think I'm actually rooting for either team. I just kind of i'm kind of innocently going in like oh yeah let's have a good game yeah we're, we're, we're rooting for a good game is what we can say um Team commercial over here yeah um Just don't show that damn cheese it's commercial anymore so uh 
I'm going to step in and I'm going to do something that we haven't done before on the Mike and Dave podcast. I'm going to do the transition to my own segment. Damn. Just because I (laughs) – and hear me out. It's not because I don't appreciate your transitions to the segment. It's just there's something that I know how to transition it because I know what the fun fact's about and something like you just said. So I'm just going to – I'm going to go for that. Um, So it sounds like you're pretty sick of that Cheez-Its commercial. Well, a lot of people have been sick recently, and I have a fun fact that kind of has something to do with that. So – it's not the smoothest transition, but you know what? It's it's there. Uh, it happened. So I love how you're like, wait, Mike, don't introduce my fun fact. I got this. And then you introduce it. You transition in and you're like, okay, that wasn't the smoothest transition. Just It just went better in my head. Just, I don't know. I, I just randomly just thought of it real quick and just I didn't know how to land, you know, stick the landing. Just let me operate. <laughs> you know what? I tried it. It was a mistake. We're going to leave this in uh, just so y'all, you guys can know that there's a reason why Mike does the transitions. Not not to say that your transitions have been perfect every time. Damn. But I said they haven't been perfect. I didn't. I wasn't saying that like you're bad at transitions. Same thing. Okay. Well, now that we need to um, get out of our feelings. Um, anyway. Going back to the fun fact to close out the show. So my wife has went through like a two week period where she could not like she was congested the entire time. She could not get over this cold and something that I never realized or never even really thought about is that typically speaking, when you're congested, it's either like one of your nostrils is a lot more clogged than the other one. And I was just thinking, like, what a weird coincidence that is. Like, hey, at least when I'm sleeping, one of the nostrils is, like, is a lot clearer, so at least I can kind of breathe or whatever. Um, Turns out it's not a coincidence at all because apparently both of our nostrils take turns taking in a lot more air than the other one. I'm assuming because... If they both did the same, then if they were both clogged or whatever, then like theoretically you wouldn't be getting any oxygen, you know, that kind of thing. But they each take regular breaks by alternating contraction and expansion called the nasal cycle, which pretty much happens for every like two to four hours. And then it switches over to the other one. So right now, if you're listening to this and you're breathing through your nose, most of the air is actually going in and out of one side. And a much smaller amount is actually going in and out the other side. And then, you know, in a couple hours, it'll switch to it being the other one. But that's why when you're congested, one side is usually a lot stuffier than the other one. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I wonder how much I'm like Mike. You would know based on if while Dave was saying all that, you would just started breathing through your nose and tried to like note the, uh, the different airflow. Um, my contribution to this, uh, highly scientific discussion is you can take your finger and 
put it up against one of your nostrils and like breathe in and out a couple times and then like switch nostrils and that will tell you which nostril is doing more of the work at that time. I'm basically a scientist, you know, I got my lab coat on and all this shit, you know. The, you know what I just heard? I, I just heard a practical use of the scientific method. Look at us. You know, I actually don't think that that's accurate. Um, I don't, but to be honest, you could tell me pretty much anything about the scientific method, and I wouldn't be able to say that you were wrong because that was a long time ago. Um, so I actually but when you weren't two comments there. Number one, okay. my uh, ninth grade biology teacher once told me that I would never amount to anything. But why? Oh, because I was the class clown. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, shocker. Uh, but look at me now doing science on the Mike and Dave podcast. Take that, Dr. Wallace. Sticking my finger up my nose, basically. Calling it science. <laughs> you know, there's... You got Galileo. You know, you got Aristotle. You got me. Just the great minds of, you know, the human race. Um, but, no, number two was... Um, <clears throat> number two was in middle school. I think it was like seventh grade. Uh, we had to participate in the science fair, and I won a ribbon for best use of the scientific method. So I've been around the block. Uh oh, for we got a badass over here. Now, this is really funny to me because my uh project was so stupid <laughs> of course um, but i was like eh the write-up on this is about to be fresh so basically what my project was was i made a bunch of different paper airplanes with the different like like i made them different way, you know like different foldings or whatever like like origami or some shit and i threw them in my yard and i went to see which one flew the farthest and that was my science fair project. Well, now that people need to know, how do you fold a paper airplane so that it flies the farthest? So, <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. Are you? No. Um, <laughs> because I'm thinking about explaining how to fold this shit. Um, you, um, this, is, this is one of those cases where we needed, uh, this is where we like need to record this as a video and put it on youtube so people can actually see what we, we need like a, a a physical demonstration let us know in the comment section below if you want me to post a video of making this paper airplane um just to expand our content creation here um but basically you fold it i fold it pretty much the standard way and when i threw it a gust of wind came <laughs> and carried it down my hill so basically, just fold it like normal, and then get a hair dryer or a fan and have it positioned behind you, or go out on a windy day, measure the direction, and then throw it in the direction of where the wind is behind you. Right. And that is the best way to do it. Get lucky. Yeah. <laughs> or that. <laughs> or don't do any of the prep work and just stand outside and hope for the best. Emil hit seventh grade, Michael. Thank God. 
peaked in seventh grade. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that was depressing. I kind of told you that. Yeah. Um, well, so I think that is going to wrap up this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed uh, the show this week. Um, make sure that if you if you have done so and you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to us. Um, you know, give us a, a five star review uh, on any of the the podcast platforms, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple, or um, or Spotify. We appreciate it. Let us know on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod, who you think is going to win the Super Bowl. And episode 73, out in two weeks, in the interim between episodes, we'll have the NBA trade deadline. So if there are major trades, usually there will be at least one, we'll be eager to talk about that on the next episode. But until then, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Alexander on the field.